Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Stu Davidson, host of the Construction Cashflow podcast and an expert in managing cashflow in one of the toughest industries out there for it. Stu has got decades of experience across property, manufacturing, and construction, and he's worked in various roles from estimator and project manager to develop manage, uh, development manager, and has collaborated with both the public and private sector clients. So he's got a huge amount of experience in this area. We're going to dive into Stu's insights on managing cash flow, addressing the slow and late payment culture, and finding new solutions to age-old problems. Plus, We'll discuss how managing cash flow effectively can help reduce stress and increase wealth growth in your business. Stu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alexis, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's great. And I mean, you've had an incredible journey. So I'm going to start with a pretty uh, big ask, which is, can you provide a bit of a kind of summary of your journey from starting in property manufacturing construction 1977 uh you, d- you yeah. don't look old enough for that to be the case of course <laughs> um, to uh, to getting to now you're like hosting the construction cash flow podcast like what's been that that journey and sort of driven you uh, in that area yeah long long story uh yeah 1977 i was in manufacturing i did a traditional apprenticeship uh the journeyman that i was under was in his 80s and could still wield a sledgehammer at the time and uh, used to get me dancing around. So uh, it was a great apprenticeship and uh, good grounding. So I went on from there in the eighties, I had a steelwork business. So that was manufacturing uh, walkways, bridges and uh, fire escapes and, and all of that kind of thing. In those days, I remember the, the um, I had a workshop and it was on a pig farm. And I remember the bank manager actually coming out to see the workshop when I wanted to get some funding. Uh, So in those days, that was uh, quite an amazing thing. But uh, I'm not sure that uh, your bank manager would want to come out and see you these days, let alone come out to a pig farm and see you. (laughs) So then it moved on from there and I got various uh, jobs est- in estimating departments after I closed that business, which was in the recession of um, the late 80s. Some people listening might remember that one. And uh, so work dried up pretty much. So I, I closed that down. Uh, I went back into the industry as a, in, in a, a kind of a consultancy basis and also working on North Sea gas rigs and uh, yeah, that, that kind of uh, air handling units, some, some mechanical, electrical, um, worked in an estimating department, progressed to uh, contracts management, went on to do a degree in quantity surveying mm-hmm. and worked in various different roles um, as an estimator contractor uh, and then became a chartered surveyor in about 2002. Then in worked in various large large um, consultancies, Turner and Townsend, Garden and Theobald, those kinds of organisations that some of your listeners may have heard of if they're in the construction industry. And then went on to start my business, my own business as a quantity surveyor, quantity surveying business in 2010. 
and worked pretty much as a one-man band employing maybe some a uh, couple of graduates at a time yeah. you know working in fairly traditional quantity surveying and found that i was ending up doing all the hours under the sun mm. and uh you know you mentioned about you know growth can become stressful or if you're ambitious can become stressful and um so i thought what what am I going to do about this? And I discovered about systemization. So I systemized the business uh, probably around 2015. And it grew like Billy Ho, actually. It, right. it, it did grow. And it was, it was quite of an unusual experience because it was a kind of an overnight event. And mm-hmm. I found waking up one morning and twiddling my thumbs thinking, hmm, I haven't got much to do today and feeling guilty about it, you know. And yeah. so so whilst I'd been quite good at systemizing, I wasn't quite sure how to handle that, you know. So it kind of took the business into a whole new new kind of realm. So the most of the tasks that I did within the business or what the tasks that I did, I started to outsource. Mm-hmm. And um so, so, so we outsourced most of the outsourcing I did to uh, a firm in India, okay. uh, and that grew and grew. We were employing graduates and training them to be quantity surveyors, uh, civil engineering graduates. So I'd fly out there a couple of times a year to do some training, mm-hmm. and the business grew and grew and grew uh, until about 2000 and, 2019. Actually, I, I remember the date, 29th of March 2019. We had a full order book everything was looking rosy and we were just celebrating actually on the forecasts of the coming year with the with the work that we'd secured so so it was great we were looking to double our turnover and uh and suddenly the bottom started to fall out because whether it was because we were meant to come out of europe on the 29th of march 2019 and i think if you remember it was delayed to the october yeah so most of that new workflow was put on hold there was a number of projects oh, put right, on hold yeah. that year and uh, i'd gone out getting a little bit blase to the auctions and bought a property to develop and to, you know and that was going to be cash flowed through through the through the growth and development of course that didn't happen right so so i ended up cash flowing it out of my my own pocket most of it in the end of the day uh, so that that was a big lesson. At the same time, one of my long-standing clients uh, was entered into a quite a heavy, significant adjudication with a with a main uh, a national main contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they owed him about three quarters of a million, and I'd worked with uh, with John for about twelve years, grew the business. We almost kind of worked in partnership. I mean, we worked in partnership on the on the on that. Uh, property we bought and, uh, and developed in 2019 but he was in a difficult position and and this really probably significant around cash flow in that the project was behind schedule and the main contractor was demanding more and more bricklayers uh, of course he was putting more bricklayers on the project 
but as you know, the more people you put on the project, the the the, the lower the productivity becomes. Right. And uh, and of course, bricklayers. He was paying his brickies once a week, and he's on a fifty-six day payment. So it wasn't mm. long before he's he's in for two hundred and fifty k, in for five hundred k, you know, and um, and the rest of the land disruption and loss and expense. And what does he do? Because the the contract that the standard form of contract that he'd signed up to really didn't give him many options to stop work down tools or walk off site uh he one of the options is to yeah there's there's the seven day notice there's the adjudication so he went the adjudication route and and i was with him on that and um we we ended up in quite a uh yeah, it was quite an involved, complex adjudication. So we had expert witness, barristers involved, etc. Uh, we were pretty sure that we'd get a we'd get a payout, get our money back on the legal yeah. expenses, and and perhaps help his cash flow as well. He'd remortgaged his property, his house, and uh, we had kind of soundings from the adjudicator that there'd be a there'd be a payout. Um, come the day of the adjudication, the adjudicator awarded us zero, which was an interesting decision. So, anyway, the the the, the kind of we 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 after the uh, brushwood had kind of settled down, there was this kind of mm. shit, you know, that's we're wiped out. And uh, so we sat and had a chat with the barrister, and we looked at and we looked at the case law and. We felt clearly the adjudicator had made some wrong decisions there, but it's very difficult to overturn a, an adjudicator's decision if if he's, he's if he's used all due diligence, you know, according to how the courts look at natural yeah. law. Uh, it's unlikely you can't sue the, the adjudicator, mm-hmm. and it's unlikely that the courts would have the appetite to overturn an adjudicator's decision, even if you did have the money. So, so that was it. We were we were kind of we were kind of in no man's land and uh, my business was uh, my my work in the business was drying up then we had we had lockdown uh, came along and uh, and of course because my my um, a lot of my work was outsourced to India uh, the guys in the office there in Hyderabad you know they they kind of went their own ways back home and and, and kind of uh, started to work locally a little bit more so it was becoming a little bit untenable to take larger projects on mm. so 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 i kind of come back did some consultancy work tried to keep the business going for as long as i possibly could um held on to it for too long to be honest yeah you know the warning signs to early 2019 um i was wedded to, See, this is one of the lessons you seem you seem to learn more lessons when you when you when you fail or something goes wrong yeah. than when you're when you're flying high. But uh, in hindsight, it's a great thing. And but I should have seen, you know, I became wedded to the business. It was my baby from starting it from scratch mm. for twelve years, and I wanted to keep it going. But really, um, I should have actually sold it or closed it down into early two thousand and nineteen. In hindsight. Um, so there was a number of other decisions, but in the end, it had to be put into um, administration and closed down. That was to twenty um, early twenty twenty two. So, so that was that was kind of the story of where I got to there. Then it was 
well, what do I do now? Do I go back to where I was? Do I want to start um, start uh, start the same thing again, or have I got the appetite to do it mm. again? Um, so I played around with a few things. I, I tried to start a little estate agency up, um, but couldn't get the listings and uh, tried a few other bits and pieces. Uh, and it, one thing led to another. And this is how, you know, you can have a successful business. Things can be going well. And, and I ended up, used, so I'd use my, my resources, my, my, um, my savings, my investments, and um, uh, actually became the, the properties had to be sold, obviously, to to fund the legal costs. So I ended up with actually nothing, and it's a place that I thought I'd never be. And um, and then I became actually I became homeless in 2022, and I did spend a couple of months. I've spent a couple of months on the streets, homeless. And in a way, it's a, it, it's a, it is a life-changing experience, and and you kind of you look back and you think, well, you know, where did I go wrong? What did go wrong? What were the milestones? What were the decisions I made? What were the external factors? Do I really want to go back there? And uh, what am I learning? And and how's my eyes being opened? And uh, and it really does. And you go from I kind of went through all the all the kind of emotions you could possibly think of and emotions that I'd never experienced before, dark places I hadn't experienced before that I didn't understand, you know, and there was a there was quite a quite a learning in that as well. And uh, you kind of go from sheer kind of anxiety to a place of bliss. And you're not quite sure where you are, and uh, so 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 what do I do? How do I express what's happening to me? And and one of the ways was to to really share it and discuss it. And my first my first uh, idea was to just do Facebook lives and talk about what was happening. So I did that for a while. And it was more about me than who was listening, really. It was cathartic. Sure. How can I, you know, I need to make myself accountable to something because I ended up in a space where I'd finished a, a relationship had ended as well, which didn't help. And I found myself quite alone. And, and um, you know, so it was being a, I suddenly, I haven't got a why. And I don't seem to have a purpose anymore. And I'd done all the find my why stuff, find my purpose stuff, set, set yourself goals, all of that. And I suddenly realized that I, I haven't got that anymore. I haven't got that purpose anymore. Where, you know, where, 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 do you, where do you kind of go from there? And, and I think speaking into the mic was, uh, was kind of helping me in a way to, to kind of unravel and to work out what was, what was happening. And, and so how do I, there must be other people in my situation in, I'm 61 and this has happened. How do I motivate myself to, to kind of pick myself up? What do I do next? And, and the voice and the speaking. And I think my first idea was, well, what about, I could, I could, um, what do I do? I could do a, 
I could do a podcast. And my first idea was a podcast, and it was going to be called Diamonds and Gold Dust for, um, you know, people that are maybe finding themselves in a situation where they have lost everything or they've gone through a major change in their life, late in life. How do you motivate yourself? How do you pick yourself up at that stage in 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 life you know and the diamonds was around the idea was you know we 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 are diamonds when we're we're kids and our stories become like gold dust and but we're still still diamonds um that was that was the idea of it and uh and and then i felt well i haven't got contacts i haven't got a network really uh where does that where where does that go and and then I thought, well, a podcast is a great vehicle for speaking to people and finding out about people's journeys that that maybe they can express and and that those stories could help others, you know, that, that are listening that may be going through a similar thing or or even pick up some little pieces of the puzzle that, you know, maybe somebody's been struggling with. And it sometimes only takes that little puzzle piece maybe that bit goes there that gets them gets them back on track or gets them gets them going again you know so they can fizzle, fix the puzzle for themselves so so it was a choice so I thought well I do know a bit about construction uh, it's been my background so why not why not start the construction cash flow uh, podcast and talk to people you know, uh, it's about their story, but at the same time, address something which is a challenge in construction, which is around cash flow. Mm. And it affects us all. I mean, from the Carillions to the Stu Davidsons, you know, it's it's kind of uh, you're not too big to fail. You're not too small to fail. And at the end of the day, it's how you manage your cash flow and the things that affect how you manage that cash flow. Uh, that that matter you know so we can we can perhaps uh, look at that and how construction is a seedbed for um, for for um, insolvency and it's not just a a tick box it's it's um, you know there's people's lives and people's families and the kids and the missus and what do you tell the missus if the payments are not coming in and we can't go on that holiday or we need to sell the house or we need to remortgage the house. And how does that affect our communities? You know, so cash flow in construction is and in any industry really is, is um, you know, it, there's a culture in construction around withholding payments, creating contracts that are protecting your cash flow, um, making delayed payments, making payment periods longer you know, um, robbing Peter to pay Paul, um, cash farming, um, using the supply chain as a as a source of funding. You know, so there's all of these things, but I think sometimes those uh, the guys that are that are um, pulling the shots, pulling the strings, uh, see it, don't see the um, the effect it has on people's lives and their mind you know, their, their mental health, their physical health. Um, and I could, I could speak for hours. I know we've got a short time, but you know, there's the, there's the, you know, construction, it is, uh, there is a high suicide rate, you know, mm. and you can lead it back to, um, cash flow. 
in in, in certain instances you know so so yeah so that's how i got to um kind of where i am now i'm still on that journey mm-hmm. and uh, learned some things along the way as well well night and thank you for sharing that and being uh, so sort of o- open and transparent and essentially vulnerable in that because i think that that's um uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about how that's actually been a, a useful part of your journey uh, has been, as you say, talking into the mic and, and to share that. But I think also it greatly serves other people. I think that money in general tends to be something that's a bit taboo and isn't often talked about. Um, but particularly cash flow is one of those areas that there are numerous reasons why a business might choose not to signal to others that cash flow is an issue, right? Um, because even just even just saying, oh yeah, you know, I, uh, cash flow might be something I'm looking to improve, like that that they might worry that if their uh, suppliers, customers heard that, that 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 would be uh, a warning uh, light to them, and as a result, might change the behaviours that they got, and as a result, reduce their sales. Uh, increase their costs, uh, make their pay, uh, their payment terms worse and all these sorts of things. And so um, I think the problem is that often it can be incredibly lonely when you're having those problems in your business. And yet managing cash flow is something that all businesses have to deal with. You know, when, when I talk to business leaders, one of the common things that threads is that, that a general feeling that, oh, we're a bit different to everyone else, or you know, our industry is different to other industries, or our business is different to other businesses. And yet, and, and sometimes that's true in certain things, you know, exactly how they do their marketing, exactly how they deliver all these sorts of things. And yet managing your cash flow is constant, every single organization. Um, and further than that, it's a, a cycle, right? We, we talked in the, in the green room previously, about my experience with my businesses where I've had periods where cash is absolutely great because we've basically, you know, we've, we systemized, we, we generate money, but hadn't really got other things to apply it to, which is actually as negative, right? You don't want cash just sat there doing nothing. It should be working for you. Mm. But on the flip side, I've definitely experienced the other end of the spectrum where you're investing, the opportunities are endless, but of course, often you're investing, particularly in my industry of software, you're investing for the future, right? You're investing for a valuation, for a recurring revenue that you might not have for three to five years from now or more. Um, and yet the, the the bills show up today. So it's a, I'm so glad that you're showing that. That's why I reached out to you, Stu, is like your incredible experience in this, both in terms of um, you've ridden those waves you've seen recessions and the impact on businesses you've seen it firsthand from an industry that traditionally is one of the toughest to manage because of the the um the big numbers you're playing with you know you talk about quarter of a million here like there like for some business owners an investment that's a lot might be 10 15000 pounds for the construction industry an investment that's a lot quickly becomes a seven figure number for one decision in one investment, one project. Um, so scale is bigger, but also margins are tight, right? Like there's all this, this mm. thing. So, I mean, you're the expert on this. Tell me why, wh- what are the features of the construction industry that make cash flow challenging? Because I'm conscious that a lot of those features will apply to others as well. Like mm. why, why is it such a, such a problem? 
It's a very, very good question, Alexis, and, and I'm sure it's one that we could go into several podcasts on. And why is it a problem? It's, I go back, there's a couple of things, maybe a couple of analogies. I mean, going back to initially talking about cash flow in, in general. Yeah. Uh, I like to use the analogy, cash flow is like the blood within your body carrying oxygen and fresh blood to the parts that it needs to get to when it needs to get there you know and so we need to keep it healthy and sometimes like going to the doctor we don't like going to the doctor or we don't we we neglect so when we're fit and well we we can tend to get complacent and we tend to think everything's fine but we don't always see what's going on underneath the hood if you like mm. so it's constantly wanting to make sure that that blood is flowing properly, that we're keeping ourselves fit, we're keeping our business fit and we're keeping the cash flow um, going. And so in construction, in the construction industry, there's an endemic um, culture of robbing Peter to pay Paul using other people's money. And it goes back to 400 years, actually. So there's nothing new, despite all the, the kind of reports yeah. that come out every now and again about how things should change. It never really changes. We're still robbing Peter to pay Paul all the way down the supply chain, you know. And in fact, that comes from the right from the funders, the developers, the contractors and the subcontractors and suppliers. They're all constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul. And it goes back 400 years, actually, where the saying comes from is when uh, St. Paul's Cathedral borrowed money from St. Peter's to pay for the maintenance and building works on St. Paul's. Uh -huh. and, and that's where it comes from, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And we haven't changed, not in 400 years. And the thing is, robbing Peter to pay Paul, we're always waiting for money to come back in. There's yeah. two couple of, couple of aspects. And... Uh, you know, so so a, um, a a contractor, it could be anywhere in the chain. So he'll have there's the project uh, bank account or the project uh, finances, and then there's the business in general. The business is operational finance, and and many many a time the supplier or the contractor will have several jobs on on the go. And so what you see a lot of is that they're managing the cash flow between them all. So you might find that oh, I've been paid on job A and I'm working on job B, but I'm not being paid on job B yet and I need to pay for my supplies, my resources. So I've just been paid on job A. So I'm going to use that money that's just come into the bank account to pay for my resources on job B, you know, so so that you can see that that automatically complicates the management of the cash flow. Yeah. You know, so if you've got the more projects you've got on the go, if one domino falls, so you get a dispute on one project and, and, and you've already borrowed from that one project and now money's being withheld because there's a disputed payment, for example, the dominoes start to to knock out, you know, the dominoes start to fall over. And and it's not long, you know, uh, before you've got a you've got an organization wide problem that you've got money coming out and it's not you've not got money going out or having to spend out and it's not coming in. 
Um, so, so in the construction industry, and I, su I suspect it could be similar in many industries, yeah. is, is that, you know, it's really important that, you know, from what I see, to manage your cash flow uh, in terms of project by, first and foremost, keeping your operational account separate from your project account, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that your cash that is coming on the one account is for that account and it needs to stack up and you need to make it work yes you know it's an easy i think it's a bit of a cop-out to borrow money from you know the next project or or to borrow money from a financer you know you need to make that particular project work so that goes all the way back to am i working with the right client am i working with the right are we a good fit you know, if, have I signed up to a contract that's not going to put my business at risk? Have I signed up to delay damages? Have I signed up to long payment terms? You know, am I duty bound to pay my my workforce weekly and I'm signed up to 56 days for my payment? Have I got the resource to, to, to cover that? You know, so the whole idea of robbing Peter to pay Paul um, is is probably one of the biggest risks so you know the the, the key thing is to keep an eye on the risks nice. keep keep an eye on what is my risk profile on this project okay. and maybe you know a couple of things is that um people in is timing i mean you mentioned about investing and time and investment and that's that's really important and and i would always say you know clients first before investment and and profit first you know because if you're working on a project you know know what you work out what you know you mentioned you asked the question actually there alexis about margins and why margins you know are perceived to be very low in construction and um and i think quite often when when companies are working their uh their budgets out for a project they're looking at their operational costs and what's it going to cost us for this project? How much we've got to charge and what profit does that give us? You know, um, I would flip it on its head and say, what profit do we need? You know, and then take out all the costs and see what you've got left for operations. And I think that's a really good discipline. This is what we've got left uh, in our operations. And, and then you've you can see whether it's going to work or not. Or it's a good discipline to say, well, we've got to we've got to make this work, we've got to become more efficient in what we're doing. And I need to keep a cost on what we're spending out. Are our resources being uh, directed in the way they should be? And, and so we've got our profit here, this is what we've got. If our operations still don't stack up, then am I, am I, you know, am I really, um, you know, is this, is this project really um, on our strategic profile or do we just walk away from it? You know, so so I would kind of, particularly in construction, construction are low margins because I think they generally get, you know, what's all the costs first, and then what profit we got left. Mm. Uh, but but in terms of uh, uh, managing the project and trying to get away from this idea of robbing Peter to pay Paul, because I think that's what ends up uh, where, where where companies get their knickers in a twist. You know, because then it starts to get into the realm of we don't actually we can't visualize where the money is going 
yeah. and, and that's that's where it gets we we you know it, it all becomes you know you, you you mentioned about you know sitting and watching the um you know the tv why i think unraveled you know it's um a countdown <laughs> it's uh, yeah. you know because because you get to a point where you can't see you know there's this kind of invisible matrix where it, it's got so out of hand and and away mm. from the center that that it all just unravel yeah it becomes overwhelming and you can't see it and i and so i love that because essentially the the core strategy there up front is one of transparency right it's about making and and clarity making sure that you can see as that leader what is happening in terms of cash flows for each aspect of that business and as you say if you've got a business with different projects then it makes sense to have your your as you say your operational expenditure and then those individual projects so that even if as I can imagine, like you might have a project that you don't expect to get the money back for a year, two years, whatever, with a massive construction project. But as a result, like you've got to almost put the money in that you're getting, you know, whether you're taking it as a loan or it's an investment or whatever, you've kind of got to separate that out and go, so that is for this. And it's not being like the picture isn't being blurred by having a load of other transactions and all stuff that's going in there that's then difficult to see. And it's, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about that clarity and transparency, I've seen people talk about creating special purpose vehicles, you know, literal um, separate company structures to create legal and financial protection between projects and, you know, and so on. So that if one project falls over, it doesn't wipe you out and everything else. And of course that has um, a great value and that, uh, that that's a good advice. Although I appreciate in a lot of cases um, that it might not be possible based on, you know, what terms you're getting for, for the uh, investment that you're getting and so on. But what I love is that you're highlighting is that, even if you're not doing it to create protection and all these sorts of things, just doing it in the bank accounts, in the accounts, having that broken out so that you have got that clarity and that you can see the difference and you know what decisions you're making on that. I think it's really powerful. Um, speak to me about how to take that further because one of the challenges that I see for some businesses is particularly where you've got, you know, I think the industries that struggle with cash flow the most are the ones where you're paying up front for delayed gratification. And of course, in many cases, that's how you get your biggest return, right? Like in the <clears throat> properties known for being uh, a, a big way in which it creates millionaires because you're doing a big investment that's relatively high risk that it's you're playing big, but there can be big outcomes. Mm. And um, in my industry, software can be similar, right? It's a big investment up front, uh, yep. get it at the end. Whereas in the world of you know, the, my previous um, industry and, and businesses that I've had, like um, in consulting, for example, you've got very low outgoings. Um, and although you might have some lag time of customers paying and certainly a sales cycle and so on, like it's, you, you can run it tighter. So how, um, but how do we deal with it in the project? So if we separate out mm. the project, so we've now got yep. clarity on the fit, but then of yep. course there are investments that you have to make up front for money that you might not get until a long time in the future. How can a business that's struggling with that make that easier to manage, less stressful to manage, uh, and, and make sure that they, they don't end up in a, um, uh, a catastrophic situation? 
Well, brilliant question. Very good question. And it's, so if I take a, let's take a development, for mm -hmm. example, a property development, um, it, it's really setting out where your cash flow risks are going to be. Right. And quite often with construction, um, we might want to procure a particular project in a certain way, but it's, we've always got to communicate with if, if we are funding or we're investing or we're using funding for investment uh, for, for we're going to put into a project and we're going to reap the benefits of that at a later date. Mm. Um, now, it's always good to understand clearly that investor's risk profile. Because quite often what I see in a, particularly in the development construction project is that they're not fully under, uh, aligned and mm -hmm. so the investor's risk profile might not be the same profile as the develop the, the the developers or the contractors or the supply chains, and 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 never the twain to meet, and and then they end up in problems halfway through the project, you know. So the 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 investor may be um, providing uh, stage stage payments, for example, and the contractors drawing down, the developers drawing down on a monthly basis. But depending on what's happening on site, how they procured it, they'll, they'll you know, because obviously an investor may have people that are investing in them. So they're looking after investors' uh, money, if you like. So they'll be constantly reviewing their risk, their risk profile uh, in terms of what they're going to allow to be drawn down. So I think the first key thing is to be in alignment so be even before you enter into you mentioned special purpose vehicles you know and part of that that you know you may have some equitable funders you may have some uh, debt finance in there um so it's all really get you know everybody getting around the table and understanding where their risks are and then even before you start if it's a construction project or any type of investment really is understanding where the parties are coming from are you a good fit are you going to be? Are you a good fit now? Are you going to be a good fit at the end? What are we, what are people's exit strategies? Because some people will want to exit at different stages. So understanding that, um, because that can cause a problem at one point or other, uh, and then you can put your contingency in. Where's going to be our biggest risk in this? And you know, it may be that we want to negotiate some mezzanine finance or some some backup finance, because at the end of the day, you know, if you're talking about investing now for something later, you're going to get your return later. You're you know, you've got to your pot of gold's at the end of the rainbow, if you like. So you you've got to you've got to get there first. And quite often, you know, where you'll see a project fall down is just before it gets across the finish line. You know, the finish line's in sight. We've done everything, you know, things that, you know, and then we've just run out of cash. We've just got two months to go. What do we do? Well, if you want an investor at that point, he's going to want pretty much all your profit to help you out, you know. Um, so, so you know, these are the things, if you can identify where's our problem going to be, we need to get across the finish line. What happens if we run into a dispute, a delay? There may be delay, disruption, there may be an unforeseen that crops up and we need that extra injection. You know, we've got five million pound profit in this, but we're going to go bankrupt if we're a month before we get across the 
finishing line if if we haven't got the cash flow to get us there you know so it may be so for example you're you know the building that you use creating a building or a, a business um out of that and and that's where your money was going to come in so you, your block of flats for example and 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 your money was going to be in the selling of those flats or renting those flats out so so you've really got nothing to you've got to get that product completed mm. You know, and if you don't get it completed, then you're not going to get your return. So yeah, people don't buy half a house or half a house. Exactly. Half a room. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's identifying where your risks are going to be along the way. So first and foremost, communication, uh, who we who we in our, our end business with, who we're getting into partnership with, what's their exit strategies and how we're going to then procure the project. Does it align with their strategy, their policy, their risk profile? Does it allow align with their other shareholders? So so really just sitting down and understand the who, why, what, where and when of you know had and also how do we behave along the way you know when this you know we draw up our memorandum of agreement and and how do we how are we going to behave with each other on each of the points as we go through you know so we kind of got that sorted out and then it's really how do we procure the project so if it's construction I, I know I'm coming back to construction a lot, but that's good. No. Some, uh, some, uh, some, 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 some investors will only sponsor a certain type of contract mm. or contractual terms. Uh, some may, you know, so there's different to not want to get too technical, but you know, there might be we might be procuring on a. Um, a a a target cost contract or a design and build contract or a traditional contract or a JCT or an NEC or all of these things or you know and and we only we only we only invest if you do it this way Uh, but it might not be the optimum way of procuring the particular project yeah so you've got to kind of marry up the 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 ideas of of the risk Um, but one of the things we do in construction which 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 is quite amazing, particularly in um, in, in uh, traditional construction. We channel most of our money through a main contractor, if you look at it from a traditional sense. And so we're asking a main contractor. So the money that ch- passes through a main contract or a developer, uh, mo- the money that uh, passes through a main contractor's account 80% of that is other people's money that we're asking him to be guardian of. You know, so so we've all sat around as the, you know, the gurus planning the project. We're looking for the site. We found the site. It stacks up. It works. It gives us a return on. Then we go out to tender and then we ask a contractor uh, unofficially because we don't really fully understand what we're asking him to do, but we're asking him to be the guy. So we've got these all these financial people that have set all these kind of mechanisms up for funding the project. And then by default, the contractor's handling 80% of other people's money, but he's a builder, you know. So, yeah. so, so, you know, is he the best person to put all of that? You know, we're putting our eggs in that basket. And, you know, so... A contractor, yeah, he's he's going to manage the works. He's coordinating the works. He's not a cash flow expert, although he he's aware of cash flow. He's a business owner, and and yet is holding the uh, he's holding that vault, and yet is 
and also I, I suppose is almost um given a sort of assumed level of competence and ability and so on in that area and as you say that necessarily isn't necessarily their strong suit um and you don't have you often don't have much visibility oh god it's incredible i could ask you so many questions <laughs> here about all aspects of this but we're gonna uh, run very short in time yeah, um, yeah. i love thank you so much for for sharing your insights uh with uh with us today there's so many places i could go with this we could talk more about um uh you know top tips we could talk about uh strategies that have been more innovative etc um i know that a lot of um the guidance and the uh the lessons uh, can be learned from your podcast the construction Co cash flow podcast which i highly recommend that people check out uh, any other resources or links that you'd, uh, you'd suggest that people uh, check out to kind of learn more from you yeah they they look out for the construction cash flow community which is going to be a uh, a live chat really that relates to all the podcast episodes so that'll be coming out in june okay. and there's the the website as well if they they go into construction cash flow podcast if they type that into google they can they can find a bit more information on the on the website which is being developed so but the the the, the community is going to be quite exciting because the guys that are on the podcast will have the opportunity to to go on there and ask, answer people's questions around the the topics and the discussions uh, things that have been discussed on the um on the podcast episodes you know so uh, so it's going to be hopefully it will build over time into a little bit of um uh, a kind of a listener's digest shall we say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the community right like, the I, community, I think yeah. as, as we've discussed like it's a very um it's a very personal thing it, it causes a lot of stress and anxiety for people and for good reason the impacts uh, can be can be huge and so um yeah i'm so glad you're doing it Stu. and i really appreciate you sharing the lessons today like it feels like we've um one of the things i loved is how strategically you've talked about cash flow in terms of how do you set it up from the beginning so that you've got the visibility how do you make sure that you've um got a good understanding of uh, investor profiles and and how that's going to work how you've looked ahead and looked at your cash flow risks and managed that how you've made sure that you've got the right people and the right roles to manage that i think that's awesome because um uh anyone that's been listening to some of our recent episodes uh, we're kind of doing a series on cash flow uh, as part of we've um we've produced a book uh, an ebook on uh, how to improve cash flow essentially using processes and a lot of that is about how do you make sure that you've got the processes in the business to keep on top of this stuff as you go along right like you know everything from 13 week cash flow forecast right down to chasing payments and so on like a lot of that um uh, we've talked previously uh, about um uh systemizing the business so that it can scale and grow as as you experienced earlier in your career and cash flows as much part of, part of that so i love the fact that you know that's been the focus and it's been really interesting to kind of go more strategic with your focus so th thank you so much um for for sharing that Stu. it's been absolutely fantastic i highly recommend uh, that uh, that people check out the construction cash flow podcast we'll make sure that there's a link to uh, Stu's new website and the community in the show notes uh, we'll also include a link uh, to Stu's uh, profile on LinkedIn so people can uh, check that out 
the uh, the uh, cash flow ebook I mentioned. People can find the airmanual.link forward slash cash flow forward slash ebook. Uh, and, uh, and so I hope people will join for that. Uh, I'm uh, uh, even tempted, uh, Stu, if you're available to get you along to an Ask Me Anything session that I'm running on Cashflow, uh, which uh, we'll, uh, we'll see whether we can let the dates work. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Like airmanual.link forward slash cashflow forward slash webinar. Uh, but uh, Stu, thank you so much. It's been incredible. You've provided so much value in such a short period of time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Alexis. Really happy to be on. Thank you so much. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And uh, for uh, everyone listening, like if you found today's episode useful and uh, insightful, inspiring, um, and I'm sure you have, um, you know, you could just subscribe to make sure that you hear uh, more great insights from people on these sorts of topics. But Stu and I would really love it if you'd also let us know if you got value, share it on social media, tag us in, let us know your favorite key takeaway or whatever feels right for you. We would really, really appreciate it, wouldn't we, Stu? We absolutely would. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Well, Stu, thank you again so much for joining me. Everyone else, until next time, have fun.